This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. everybody and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Tessa and today on our panel we have Ari Clark. Hello. Ben Hong. Hello. Well, and I didn't realize we had Batman here today. But we also have another very special guest for this episode, Evan Yo. Hello. Evan, would you oh, like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Evan. I work on Vue.js. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, some of our listeners might have heard of it, you know. Yeah, maybe you're <laughs> into it. This random little thing. So Evan, recently you've been talking a lot about this Vites, although I think a a, a lot Mm -hmm. of our American listeners are probably pronouncing it Vites. So can you tell everyone a little bit about what's the deal with Vite? Yeah. So Vite is a, I would call it a build tool. Like I actually had a hard time figuring out uh, the proper way to label it, like explain it precisely. Because it's a combination of a dev server plus a build configuration. But you can think of it as something similar to VCLI. It's just that uh, does fewer things. So VCLI is completely full-featured. It like, includes testing, linking, building, dev server, and everything. And Vite is just the dev server and the build. So you can think of it as Webpack plus Webpack dev server. But the dev server part is very different. So the dev server part is the more interesting part. So what makes it different is when you start the dev server, instead of bundling your whole application and then serving the browser, it actually just actually just loads the HTML page and tries to let the browser resolve the ES module imports natively. So you'll have to start your application with an index.html file with a script type equals module, then pointing to your entry JavaScript file. So that's a native thing in the browser. So we're not like letting the browser loading a pre-compiled bundle of your application. Instead, it's actually just making a native request to your entry file. And all your code should be using native ES module syntax and let the browser just do the natural native thing. So script type module is a thing that already works today in the browsers, but the limitation is that it only works with plain JavaScript, right? It doesn't really know how to resolve your dependencies from node modules. It doesn't really know what to do when it encounters a non-JavaScript import like CSS or view files. Right? So what V does is on top of the native syntax, we let the server intercept all these HTTP requests and do proper handling on the server side. So when you see when you import a view file, the server will actually read the view file from the disk compile it into actual JavaScript, and then send it back as a native ES module, right? So everything happens on the fly. Does that make sense so far? Kind of. No? (laughs) Kind (laughs) of? Well, if that's still too abstract, like the takeaway is it's really fast because we don't have to wait until your whole application is bundled to be able to serve stuff to the browser, right? So if you, I guess the difference is becomes more obvious when you say, when you have a really big project, that has like a thousand files. And typically this kind of project, you will have multiple screens, right? You will have a lot of routes, different routes. So when you're on home, 
the home screen probably only needs maybe 20, 30 modules out of your thousand modules, right? So with a traditional bundler-based setup, to be able to work on the home screen, you have to bundle a thousand modules to be able to just to serve the home page. But mm. with the native ES module approach, right, the, the browser naturally only requests as much as it needs, right? So it only requests that 30 modules that the home page actually uses. And that reduces the amount of work that we actually have to do. And also, we also save the time that's needed to, to actually crawl the dependency graph and like resolve everything and putting everything together into an actual like correctly working bundle. That's a lot of work, right? So letting the browser do that natively, then V doesn't actually have to do any sort of making sure these things are stitched together properly and anything like that. So the result is you have a, uh, also the compilation is really on demand. So the result is no matter how big your project is, the server start is always instant. It's because it doesn't have to do anything until you actually request a page, right? So when you request a page, the compilation is always on demand. So it only compiles the, the amount of modules that's actually needed for that page. So this kind of scales really well as uh, really well as your project gets big. And one of the big pain points we've had with Webpack, a lot of us probably are kind of get, are already gotten used to it, is like you have to wait like five, six, or even 10 seconds for your Webpack dev server to start up. Mm -hmm. And then like when you make a single edit, you have to wait like two to three seconds for everything to recompile and then see the browser update, right? So the feedback loop is like significantly slower Especially the, the worst part is, is it gets slower and slower as your project gets bigger and bigger. Right? And there's no way around it because you have to bundle everything. But with the ES native ES approach, we're essentially decoupling the dev server feedback speed from the size of your project. Instead, it's now just strictly how many modules you are using currently on this page. Right? And this also plays into the hot module replacement part. So in Webpack, like, when your project gets big, even hot module replacement sometimes can take up to like three to four seconds, right? But with Vite, hot module replacement is guaranteed to always be instant because when the file changes, we, we only recompile that file only and then notify the browser to hot swap it. Like there's no complex graph analysis. Uh, well, there are some bookkeeping and graph analysis involved <laughs> to ensure correct behavior, but so much cheaper than what Webpack has to do, right? So like, in most cases, when you hit save, your browser would have already updated. So I have a question about that. So I don't know if this ever happens to anyone else, but you know, I'll be making changes and somehow my dev server gets wonky and things mm -hmm. stop working as expected. And then I end up debugging a problem that doesn't exist. <laughs> would that <laughs> make that less likely? Because that would be great. It's hard to say because it depends on what kind of issue it is. Sometimes it's related to hot module replacement logic. Sometimes it's just related to internal bugs in the dev server. But I mean, V is obviously still kind of early. It's still experimental. But if you are dealing with a very like standard compliant code base, all ES modules, then it should work most pretty flawlessly. Current pain point really only has to do with weird dependencies that are common JS or some packages that pretends to be ESM but actually imports common JS dependencies, which are really annoying. But 
I think we found ways to kind of work around that. So, so I understand hot module replacement from like a conceptual standpoint, but not really mm-hmm. from a practical one. Is the idea like if I have a page with some components and I only change one component, only that one would refresh? Yeah, there are a few different ways to handle this. The way Vue does it is because every single file component is naturally sort of self-encapsulating. So when you edit the template, we can notify the browser saying the template for this component has changed. And so Vue 2 has a separate package called Vue Hot Reload API. And Vue 3 has it built in in the runtime. So V3's runtime will have built-in hot module replacement handling. And when it gets that notification from the server, it will get the new compiled render function, replace the old render function with it, and then re-render your component. So it's a forced re-render of your current component. And we can do that because render functions are guaranteed to be pure. It's side effect free. So we just let the virtual DOM do the diffing, update your component. So we can preserve the current state of your component and the rest of your application. Another case is when you edit the script part of your single file component. And when you edit the script part, it gets more complicated because you, it, there might be like side effects. For example, you have a mounted hook, right? You, inside the mounted hook, you might have done something funky on the window object. And, and you might have logic that just relies on the order of the lifecycle hooks that's being called. So we can't just simply replace a single hook that's being changed. You kind of have to reload your component, essentially force unmount the previous instance and remount a new instance in its current position. So that's what we do. So when you edit the script, the component actually fully reloads. So it reruns its whole lifecycle. But still, any state that's outside of this component in your application is still preserved. So you don't, you don't have to actually do a full page reload. It's just that specific component being reloaded. I see. So then speaking of component reloads, I was reading your piece in Increment Magazine about mm-hmm. the way that Vue 3 re-renders things. And I was wondering if working through those problems is what inspired Vite and Vite Press, or if you just make a new one of these projects like every couple of years. Or, yeah, why did, you, why did you make this? Funny enough, uh, I had this idea of you know, a native ES dev server that serves Vue single file components even before I started working on Vue 3. There is a repository on GitHub called DJS slash view dev server, which is now archived, but it was started 15 months ago. That's like around the same time I initially started working on Vue 3. And so I had that idea. I got a proof of concept working. So it was already using native VS imports. But at that time, I think the browser support for native VS module import was still not as good as today. Probably only worked in Chrome. And then in order to properly make this work, obviously you need to do a lot of work around like resolving node modules. And at that time, I also had no idea how to, how to make hot module replacement work with this approach. So I just sort of put it aside and focused on Vue 3. But now after I shipped Vue 3 beta, I was like, now let's think about what a new development experience can be like if you're starting a fresh project. Right, because VCLI still has a lot of work to do to make it fully compatible with V3. But what if people just want a modern, lightweight, no hassle setup to get started with V3 and single file components as fast as possible? So that was when I realized, okay, I can just take this concept 
And I checked the, the browser compatibility of native VS module imports. It's like all green in the latest evergreen browsers. So that's nice. So, which means we can now, basically Vite has the assumption that you're building for modern browsers, right? So if we can make that assumption, there are a lot of things in Vue CLI that we can sort of just completely drop. Like you don't have to babble because, right? Babel compilation really is only needed if you're targeting legacy browsers and all evergreen browsers already support full ES 2015 pretty well. And so we can get a real lot of these assumptions and use as much native stuff as possible. And that's what Vite will be. So Vite is kind of, if you're targeting modern browsers with Vue 3, then Vite will be the most efficient way to develop apps. I see. So basically, if you don't need to worry about non-evergreen browsers, use Vite. Otherwise, you use the Vue CLI. Yeah. Yeah, I remember a couple of years ago, uh, Pine Wu was showing off uh, this really cool prototyping tool in Vue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, don't, I don't know what happened to it, but when I saw <sighs> I was like, oh, could I use this to do to do that? Where basically, if for people who aren't familiar with it, it's like, I think just whatever file you edit, it will smartly refresh your browser with those changes so you can see things really quickly. Yeah, with Webpack, the hot module replacements, the replacement is eventually still too slow. I mean, it's acceptable, but it's really not as like as fast as you type. But I think Vite can get really close to that because the fastest I've tested is like, when you hit save, the change can be reflected in the browser in like 30-ish milliseconds. So obviously, it kind of depends on the, the type of file you're working with. Like say, if you're editing a single file component, there is more compilation to be done. If you're editing a TypeScript file, there's more compilation to be done. But, but in general, it, it should always reflect in the browser in under 100 milliseconds. I feel like that's going to take some getting used to. <laughs> Yeah. Um, like I'm so used to like, you know, waiting a couple seconds. Yeah, I feel uh, I got someone on Twitter saying because he's he was working on a single screen and he he hits save in the editor, then he switches back, the browser already updated, and then he was just staring at waiting. Then he realized, <laughs> oh, it already updated. And he was like, Wow, it's 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 updating too fast. Can you like wait a few seconds so that I can I can actually see it? <laughs> so yeah. So you need two screens to use Beat. Yeah, I was going to say, because I, I saw you were talking about like, oh, it might take two seconds and that's such a long time. And I also work on, at home on a single screen. So I'm like, oh, I'm really behind on like my keyboard shortcuts and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Switch screens faster. Yeah. I think it also kind of, funny enough, like Beat was one of the biggest like motivation to start me was also, I was, I was writing documentation with ViewPress I was editing the Composition API RFC the other day, and it took like four seconds to start a ViewPress server with just two pages. And I was like, oh, we just, I just feel we can do better than this. You don't, you shouldn't <laughs> have to wait four seconds to edit two markdown files, right? So yeah. Vite kind of solves that problem perfectly. Start the server instantly. The page opens in under one second. And every time you edit, the, the pages updates almost instantly. So I feel like that's that's where the ideal like editing experience should be. And it's not just like, I, I think it, let's say if you reduce like uh, the update time from like three seconds to two seconds, that might not seem as fundamentally different, but like from three seconds to a hundred milliseconds, that's just the quality of life change. So with V, you went with roll up, right? When you were putting this yeah. together. 
So yeah. can you talk a bit more about how you made that decision and what that was like versus what is it, Webpack? Right. So obviously Webpack was too heavy to directly include as a dependency. And the configuration of Webpack really is what kind of uh, wanted me to... I've actually want, always wanted to use Rollup to bundle applications, but in the past, the biggest blocker was Rollup didn't have a good dev server. So I, so Veet kind of fills that gap. And, and also Rollup is a bundler that was built with ESM as the ES modules as the first class citizen. So Rollup was originally built to only handle ES module bundling. So common JS handling is an afterthought and implemented as a plugin. In comparison, Webpack is started out as a tool to bundle common JS modules. And then later on, it added support for ES modules. So that kind of uh, the two different starting point kind of make, I mean, makes a certain level of difference in terms of uh, how well they can handle pure ES module projects and how efficient they can tree shake stuff. In general, Rollup, when you, when you have a pure ES module code base, Rollup will produce more efficient, smaller bundles. The downside is uh, Rollup is not as robust as uh, when it's handling common JS dependencies as Webpack. Because Webpack just has years and years of all these, I mean, it, it's like, it probably have dealt with every possible weird way of packaging NPM packages. But Rollup is really like, Rollup started out from a very, very pure core. It's just like, if you have only ES modules, what's the most efficient way to bundle your application? Right? So I feel that aligns with Beat much better because we are trying to go ESM first. And CommonJS should really just be a escape hatch. Like if you really, really have to use this dependency, then we'll pre-bundle it for you. But if you don't have to, it's best to just stick to Purius modules. And in that case, Rollup is obviously the better choice. So is that also a consideration that developers would need to make when they're deciding between Feet and the normal view CLI? Or is that just orthogonal? Yeah, it is a decision to be aware of because um, Webpack big has a big ecosystem so and also a lot of dependencies kind of assume there's only one bundler so if it works in webpack they just assume their package is working so there are packages that webpack can bundle but vite cannot i mean that's that's kind of fine like i think vite is kind of positioned to be the solution that like if you want to use this try to stick to esm as much as possible if you really have to use dependency and it doesn't work with me, you can tell the author, hey, ship ESM, move the ecosystem <laughs> forward. Right. But yeah, that's that's my take on it. I just feel like it's good to be able to have a have a tool that's slightly more opinionated and not try to just like cater for every possible use case. Do you think there would be a path forward then where you know, developers could use Vite in their development experience, but then since they have to support legacy browsers, then to like <laughs> you know, toggle a switch that would then switch them in build mode to like then utilize Webpack, but when development mode, utilize Rollup? It's technically possible because all the syntax features that it supports can technically be supported via Webpack, obviously. So if someone wants to say, build a Webpack configuration that is Vite compatible, it's totally doable. As far as I know, it's what Snowpack does. So Snowpack is, is very similar to Vite in terms of dev server side. And their solution is delegate the bundling completely to Parcel or Webpack. But you then you would have to install a separate like Snowpack plugin Webpack to be able to do that. So V tries to 
be a bit more opinionated and work out of the box. So when you install Veeds, you get the dev server and the build at the same time so that you don't have to sort of make that decision as long as you follow the correct path. Yeah, that's, that's just different trade-offs, right? I, I, I personally think when you can assume you have pure ESM, Rollup will almost always guarantee to produce the most efficient bundle. And Rollup is also, I mean, the Rollup plugin API is, uh, in my opinion, much nicer to work with than Webpack plugins, which is always kind of cryptic. <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty much why, why I went with Rollup because it just aligns with ES modules better. And when you say that Veet can fill that gap with the dev server support with Rollup, what is that referring to exactly? Uh, hot module replacement in specifically, oh. because um, I know there was a project called Nolup that uh, is essentially a Rollup dev server with hot module replacement, but it didn't get major traction. So it also wasn't able to get it working properly with all the custom stuff I needed to do for view hot module replacement. So, but I, I did, I did that like a few years, one or two years ago. So at that time I was like, okay, if Rollup doesn't have a good enough dev server, then it's just a, it's just a deal breaker. You, we can't use it as the default application bundler, but I mean, I also picked Rollup after I already got the dev server side of Veeat working. So, so I got the dev server working. Then I was like picking a bundler, and naturally, Rollup was kind of, you know, if we already solve the dev server side, then Rollup is the natural choice. I see. When I first heard of Veeat, I in my head I just assumed it was like completely view centric. But then when I looked at the README, I was surprised to see React and Preact mentioned. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. So originally I did build Vite to be view specific, but as I worked on it a bit more, I realized this model doesn't have to be view specific. So I added JSX transpilation support with ESBuild. So ESBuild is this Go written project. It's written in Go. And it's distributed as a native compiled binary, but it, it's actually used to compile JavaScript. Compile, it can compile JSX, TSX, TypeScript into plain JavaScript. And it's like absurdly fast. It's orders of magnitude faster than anything that's written in JavaScript. So Beach is using that under the hood for JSX transpilations. So I set that up and imported Preact. And it just worked, right? There really isn't too much other work to be done. So pre-act support was pretty much free. So for me, there's just like it's such a low-hanging fruit. So once I got pre-act working, I, all I need to do was just uh, get a version of React that is actually ES model compatible, and then React support is finished too. So it's like really, really cheap to support <laughs> React and pre-act. But the initial versions of those didn't have hot module replacement support. So then I... I tweaked the hot module replacement logic a bit more to, to make it more generic so it can support arbitrary JavaScript hot module replacement. And then I looked into the React fast refresh stuff. And then surprisingly, it wasn't too hard. So, so Beat actually now comes with support for React fast refresh. Preact has a dedicated hot module replacement thing called Prefresh. So, so both of these also work really well. And then someone pull request a uh, Reason React template to use Reason React with the base React template, and it also works. So like, 
it's surprising that like once you once you get the basics working, like all these support just kind of naturally comes for free. Uh, it's not entirely free, but it's like it's not a lot of work to actually support them if everyone is just using native VSM. Do you think we could expect to see something like Angular or Svelte supported in the foreseeable future, or are those like very different? So Svelte is technically possible. It shouldn't be too hard. You can just add like a custom transform. So the reason Preact and React is like supported is, is really because ES build already comes with the capability to transpile JSX. So it's kind of like a free capability, but Svelte will need to like plug. We need to plumbing the specific Svelte compiler. So that's kind of like, that kind of has to be done via a plugging. So I haven't really looked in, had time to look into it, but should be really straightforward. So if once someone wants to like use V2 with Svelte, it should be totally feasible. So Angular is completely different beast because just how end-to-end it is, it controls the its own like whole custom compilation. As far as I know, the whole CLI has a lot of customized webpack plugins, custom TS compilation steps. So I don't I I don't think it's a thing to consider even. Angular is really just its own thing. With over 300 tools and warehouses, Segment connects your stack with one API and can get you up and running faster with our historical data replay feature. Segment is a customer data platform that helps companies harness first-party customer data. Their platform democratizes access to reliable data for all teams and offers a complete toolkit to standardize data collection, unify user records, and route customer data into any system where it's needed. More than 20,000 companies like Intuit, Hinge, Instacart, and Levi's use Segment to make real-time decisions, accelerate growth, and deliver compelling user experiences. For more information, visit segment.com. So are there any features that you wish Feet had right now, but it doesn't yet? A few things. I can actually pull up my backlog. <laughs> oh, gosh. that's Yeah. So currently, it doesn't support custom blocks. We also want to support multi-page entries. Better mono repo support. We probably want better, more friendly runtime errors. So preferably with an overlay and stuff. And the ability to sort of something equivalent to Webpack's require context. Yeah, that's pretty much it. But like these are not super critical. I would consider like the, the core features are sort of working. I guess the current focus will be just like get it working, get it somewhat stable. And then VPress is already in like semi-working state. Actually, I'm just finishing up the default theme. But yeah, like my hope is we can sort of align this with Vue 3. So when we officially release Vue 3, it can be the sort of recommended way to sort of start playing with SFCs. I feel like the default configuration and the simplicity is, is very beginner friendly. There really isn't too much you need to sort of grok to be able to mm-hmm. start playing with it. Yeah. So then thinking about like that first user experience when people go to the view docs and they have you import the script file and then you make your first component in inline JavaScript, mm-hmm. do you think that that might be replaced by spinning up a view app in the future? Uh, no. So, so here's the thing. I, I've always thought about restructuring the docs introduction to sort of more specifically sort of guide people into their desired way of starting with Vue. So right now we just assume everybody has no prior knowledge and start with a script tag. But for some users, they may already be 
pretty proficient with Node.js or have prior experience with mm -hmm. another framework. So I've seen people like on Twitter saying like, I'm looking at the view docs, it feels like Angular 1 because it's like all script tags and stuff, right? And they didn't bother to look at the CLI page. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we kind of want this introduction where like, so here's the thing, we know our user base is really diverse. You may come from different backgrounds, right? So if you are a total beginner, like you only know basic HTML and CSS and JavaScript, then you should probably start with a script tag in an HTML page, right? If you already know Node.js, you're comfortable with Node command line tools, then you should probably start with Beat, or you want to like get the proper experience, get the single file components, then Beat is definitely the way to go. And then you have people who are like, I'm a, I'm a veteran. I just want to instantly start building enterprise-grade applications with support for legacy browsers, then you should start with UCI. Right. So uh, we kind of want to make that clearer. So people like start with the path they're most comfortable with instead of uh, like one trying to fit everyone into the same starting point. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds really good because I remember, yeah, the, the easy start or the simple start, I guess, was the most appealing part of it. But now sometimes when I just need to check something quickly and that pops up first, I get a little bit tripped up. So I think, I think this will be good. I'm yeah. Excited. Yeah, we, we're kind of debating with that a bit. Like, at, at what point in the documentation should we start switching the examples to use single file component format? Because, like, a lot of them still are like inline scripts, inline templates, which is like, especially some people who don't actually use Vue, they look at the documentation and be like, you inline like template strings. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm so, not going to lie. I sometimes feel like that when I'm reading the docs. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> I think it's it's time we kind of maybe toggle between different styles or something like that. Yeah, I think a toggle would be a great option because yeah, there are a lot of times where I'm like, okay, this example is clearly geared towards not using an SFC, which yeah. I don't even, like my brain doesn't even think in that anymore. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, so I'm like, wait, how do I translate this to an SFC again? Crap. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the option to go between the two because I'm sure that there are a lot of people who are, yeah, doing script tag. So yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because like React doesn't have that problem because they just assume everyone is already using a compiler. Yeah, but I know um, from working with a lot of different code bases that there, there are a lot of basically code bases that are migrating. And so I know that the giving people that CDN route, you know, that script import has been huge for the adoption of. Yeah, yeah, I think it definitely helped in the adoption. Like, yeah, if we so, didn't go that route in the beginning, like we yeah. wouldn't be where we are today. So I definitely agree that a choose your own sort of adventure uh, would be definitely super helpful. From a mm -hmm. DOS perspective. Yeah, once I was watching someone try to put a view component in React page that was built in Angular. And so we were like flipping between the two stacks mm -hmm. trying to figure out how to <laughs> Oh it. my gosh. Yeah, you can actually do that in, in Beat. I got someone send me a screenshot. He got a React app and a view app running side by side inside of Beat screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's great. And so you mentioned uh, VitePress, and I'm sure um, there are a lot of people who, who you currently use VitePress and, and love it. So as far as like, yeah. do you have any ideas like roadmap wise, whether you see it as like the like a replacement as like a VitePress 2.0, or will they sort of live side by side as far um, as a possible so, roadmap? Yeah. So so when I started VitePress, I wasn't really thinking too much about this problem, which is why I started out with a different name just to avoid this sort of mm -hmm. confusion. But, but I think like technically, VitePress has everything it requires to be VitePress 2.0. So 
if we were, especially if like we were to say we want a version of ViewPress that works with View 3, that is pretty much what ViewPress already achieves. And specifically, ViewPress is also sort of me kind of uh, taking some of the, over the years, I, I kind of like, you know, there are a few things like a few design decisions I sort of felt like can be improved about ViewPress, specifically the every page added to the application adds quite a bit of weight to to the JS bundle uh, for every page. And then um, using Webpack kind of leads to slow added feedback. When you use Vite, you already kind of assume your end users are using modern browsers. So that kind of uh, removes a few things that can, we can just leverage the native solutions like code splitting. So combined with all of these, Depress comes with a few very interesting things kind of improves. First is it doesn't use a router. It doesn't use the full view router because view router would actually be an overkill for something like, like ViewPress or VPress. Looking back at it, like that's after I worked on ViewPress and kind of know what all the things it would it is supposed to do. So I, I realized, mm-hmm. okay, view router is an overkill right? because it just handles so much logic that a single like top-level navigation switch doesn't really need. We don't need nested routing inside of it unless you're building something really crazy layouts. But like even with that, it's not really a necessity in most cases. So currently, VPress is actually using a custom router that's 150 line code, including type annotations. What? Yeah. So it, uh, you, can, you can get a, like, if you, all you need is just switching between like top level routes, it's just so, so easy to build a simple mm-hmm. router with composition API. So, so that saves quite a bit of JavaScript already. And then, and then when you also, when you use view router, you kind of have to declare a route with the import statement leading to the async component for that route, right? So that's currently how ViewPress does it, but this also means every time you add a page, you have to add one route configuration entry, which is like 100 bytes. And then you have to add, uh, it also adds an entry into Webpack's runtime manifest, which is uh, another 30, 40 bytes. So you end up with like a- around 200 bytes for every extra page you add to a WordPress site. So if you have, say, 100 pages, that's like 20 KB of JavaScript for like nothing, right? So this is kind of unsustainable if you, you want to scale. So we definitely need to sort of reduce that. So Makes what, sense. yeah, so what uh, VPress is d- doing is uh, instead of having hard-coded routes, we are essentially just like based on the route you're navigating to, we have an algorithm to dynamically determine the, the JS chunk file name that we need to fetch and then fetch that file. So we don't rely on Webpack to figure it out. We don't rely on roll up to figure it out. We just do it ourselves to save as much bytes as possible. So this completely decouples. So this means you don't have to contain anything inside your bundle other than the, the single function that maps a path to its corresponding chunk file. We do have to uh, include a simple mapping that's a path to a chunk hash. And that's the only thing for every page added. That's about like 15 to 20 bytes. So that's a lot better, right? Now, yeah. with 100 pages, you add 2 KB of page weight instead of 20 KB. And that can be, that can be quite, a, quite a lot. Like, mm-hmm. And in extreme cases, you can even like... So we still use hashed chunks. It's kind of a trade-off because like, 
if you, you use non-hashed chunk file names, you don't even need the, the hash mapping. So you can completely drop that. Mm. But that results in worse caching because now the browser cannot just, uh, the server cannot just use uh, a long cache expiration. So the, it, the server mm -hmm. would always have to hit your server to make sure the file didn't change. So, so it's kind of a trade-off, right? So, but I think like two kilobytes per hundred pages is a good, pretty decent trade-off if you get mm -hmm. much better caching with hashed filings. So, so we do a lot of, in VPress actually encapsulates a lot of these micro-optimizations, just make the, the static site generation as efficient as possible. Like when you have, when we generate each page, we also like in inject all the module preload directives automatically so you don't end up with the network waterfall of native ES module imports. And then also the thing I mentioned on Twitter, when you generate a page, so VPress allows you to write your markdown file and it's actually compiled as a view component template, right? So in ViewPress, the current biggest problem is if you have a huge page, that whole page is actually compiled into a view render function of the equivalent uh, size. So you're duplicating all the content in JavaScript, send it to the client, and then hydrating. And if they're static, this all of this shipping JavaScript and the hydrating is just completely unnecessary work. So VPress mm -hmm. leverages some of the things in Vue 3, right? What Vue 3 does is we when when the compiler detects a large piece of content that is static, it just squashes them all into a single node. And all this content is pre-stringified into a JavaScript string. And when it mounts, it's simply calling inner HTML to set it. So, so this already is, is much more efficient than sending equivalent render function code because job, uh, a lot of the time, CPU time spent on mobile browsers when loading JavaScript is actually in parsing. Uh. So I don't know if you heard of the thing, like when you call json.parse on a big JavaScript string, instead of sending them as JavaScript object literals, it's much faster. Because when, when the client is trying to parse it as proper JavaScript, the parsing algorithm is much more complicated. So although you know it's a JavaScript object literal, the, the, browser and, uh, the JavaScript engine doesn't know. So it kind of have to parse with all the possible permutations of JavaScript parsing logic. So parsing a huge object literal is actually pretty slow. But if you inline it as a string, then the parsing, the parsing is super simple. I'm in a string. I can just go ahead until I reach the end of the string. So that's much, much faster. And then when you parse it with native json.parse, it's also much faster because json.parse only needs to handle JSON syntax, which is a much, much smaller subset than the full JavaScript syntax. Right? So when we stringify your template content into strings, it achieves a similar effect where the JavaScript engine parses it as a simple string and doesn't care about it, right? And then when we set in HTML, we let the browser do the parsing, which is faster than JavaScript having to parse it into JavaScript first and execute all the code to insert the dominance. So that's the first step. The second step in VPress is when you ship a page to when you ship a VPress page, it's a static site generated site, right? So when, when the page loads, all the content is already there. By default, we're still shipping the equivalent JavaScript strings inside the JavaScript chunk. But even that is unnecessary now because the content is already on the page. So why, why do we even include these JavaScript strings? So VPress performs an extra step to completely remove these static strings. And now your whole JavaScript chunk for this page 
is left with only the dynamic bits inside your markdown. And if your whole markdown page is empty, your render function will literally just be an empty call. <laughs> nice. So yeah, that's how efficient it is, right? So this way you get rid of this like reduplicating your static content in JavaScript problem. We also completely skip hydrating all these static nodes, right? So there's no extra payload, there's no hydration cost, but you can still mix dynamic components inside your markdown any way you want. The compiler will generate the correct thing, so Vue will hydrate the correct nodes in your, in your HTML, right? So that's what makes VPress completely different from anything out there right now. I don't, I don't think there are any other static site generation that, that is able to do that at this moment. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's really focused on like light page load, but still preserving the full like view development experience. Very cool. So switching to just more conceptual tech before we finish up, I feel like whenever I hear you talk about your work, I'm always struck by how everything seems like the process of creating a new project or updating an old project. It always seems very like deliberate and methodical and organized. Uh, so I was just curious if you could talk more about like that process of like idea generation or creating a new thing. Honestly, it's not organized at all. So, <laughs> but I do have the habit of just like taking down whatever notes, like inspiration ideas that just like kind of struck me at that moment. I do sometimes like when I'm just like going to bed or like brushing my teeth or just eating. And it was some, sometimes I, my brain would just like kind of works on its own. And I'm like, whoa, what if we do that? And I'm like, <laughs> dude, I need, to, I need to write this down right now. And so I take that into, uh, I, I keep a lot of ideas in Google Keep. And, and that kind of serves as a sort of, a, I don't know, it's, it's like a pool of ideas, right? So, and it kind of, I don't, sometimes I don't even necessarily check these things explicitly, but when I write it down, it kind of, I internalize it as something at the back of my head. And when I work on, say, when I was working on Vue 3, it was kind of a natural process that as I'm working on Vue 3, all of these ideas I've kind of jotted down before just comes to me. I'm like, whoa, like this is the opportunity. We can solve that thing I thought about like two years ago. Whoa, this is like how we can solve that thing a few months ago, right? So it kind of just, when you finally get the chance to work on something real, all these things just kind of fall into place. And, and then, then, yeah, sometimes like after I work finished, say, especially in the case of Vue 3, it's like, I don't know, like I, I have a habit of having a to-dos file in every repository. I don't commit them, but like this to-dos file is like a hundred items of checkboxes. And whenever I have some idea, just like add it to the list, add it to the list. And then a few months later, I'm like, oh, I checked off 50 boxes. But, but the thing is, like, it's getting really hard to sort of keep everything really, really well defined. Like our roadmap, obviously, is very idealistic. We, we post the roadmap, but like, honestly, like, I don't feel like it's like, because we are not a for-profit company. We're not like trying to hit specific deadlines for a certain marketing push or anything like that, right? So our priority is making sure we actually ship the thing that solves the problems we want to solve. So, which is why, which is why like this, this whole process is just constantly 
when you have a new idea, you, maybe you don't get to work on it right now, but like I always sort of keep it somewhere. And when you get the chance, say today I'm sitting down, like now it's time to work on this thing. Let's ship a new version. When I ship a new version, that's the time I kind of look at the backlog. I'm like, oh, this can fit into this release. This can fit into this release. And, and sometimes you can even cross-reference. For example, in Vue Core, you have this server-side rendering feature that would benefit VPress today. So in a lot of ways, you're just like leaving these dots everywhere. And then when the time comes, they just kind of connect and become something concrete. You can, you can sort of write the code for and honestly, like the whole process working on Vue 3 is like writing the code is often the more mechanical and boring part, or it's like the easy part because writing the code is most of the time just turning all these things already in my head into something that can run. But I feel like the more valuable part is always the, the thought process that kind of like just happens all the time. I, I kind of, I'm kind of used to it now. Like I literally like would think about Vue related problems when I, when I eat or sleep. So it's kind of like becoming a habit. I see. That's pretty cool. So it's like you're just throwing all these stars out there and then seeing what constellations surface. Yeah. That was an amazing metaphor, Tessa. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look Sorry. forward to the day when we can incorporate Katamari in there somewhere. We'll see. <laughs> so Evan, where can people find you on the internet? So I'm on Twitter as YouYuxi. That's my Chinese name. Y-O-U-Y-U-X-I. And I'm on GitHub as YYX990803. I mean, if you use Vue, you can probably find me. So <laughs> We'll also include in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And with that, let's move on to this week's picks. Ari, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, I have two music picks this week. Actually, technically, both of them sort of have words, but it's so filtered electronically that you can't really understand it. But if you listen closely, you can. So fair warning, if that's a problem, maybe these aren't your jam. But first one is The Lord is Out of Control by Mogwai. And the second one is Atlas by Battles. Very cool. How about you, Ben? All right. So for me, last week, you all heard me talk about Whimsical, which is a great online whiteboarding tool. But unfortunately, I had to say I converted to Chris's pick Miro because the collaboration is just a bit better. It's easier. And by a bit better, I mean, it's non-existent on Whimsical in the sense that if you want to invite guest editors, you can't do that unless they're a paid member. So that really sucks because I collaborate with a lot of different people on one-off whiteboards. So that was basically a deal breaker for me. And the next pick, actually, I've tested a thing for this, is remo.co. So it's like an event, like sort of virtual event service that it was an Node. I think the meetup ran yesterday. And so basically, yeah. And so basically, for anyone wondering, like, you know, meetups and stuff that's hard to do in the world we live in right now. But this event sort of platform was a little bit different. So instead of just a straight Zoom stream, it actually had the ability to let you then like break out into tables where you could like click on like a map of like couches and stuff. So you could like literally sit at a table. And if other people sit with you, then you're only in a video chat with those people. And then you can like do like a whiteboard, you can share screens. So it was a bit more like it brought that kind of interactivity back into like the digital world, which was actually really nice. So I may be experimenting with that in the future. So big thanks. You know, to Tessa my favorite part was, was when I moved to your table, because Ben sat in the back far away from the presentations and I moved there and then he left the room. <laughs> it was an accident. I didn't know what I was doing. But anyhow, my final pick is the Nux content module that uh, they released, I believe it was like last week. It's been 
really great to see uh, Nux provide like a really easy way to integrate like Markdown and other sort of types of files into their ecosystem. So uh, really great job to the team for that. So those are my picks for this week. Awesome. Yeah, leave it to Chris to take your pick and one up it. <laughs> okay, Evan, how about you? Do you have any picks for us today? Yeah, you actually mentioned it earlier. So there was this uh, magazine called Increment. I think it's uh, sponsored by Stripe, but it's a it's a magazine that's specifically focused on software engineering and tech start like technology in general, but a very developer oriented. And it's really well designed, uh, really well curated content. So uh, the latest issue is on front end, which has a article from me that talks about the design process of Vue 3. So if you're interested, definitely check it out. And its past issues are also really great. I actually read a few of them. Touches on a lot of different aspects of software development in general. A really great magazine in general. Yeah. And not just because you're in it, right? Not really. Like I, so I was invited to write for it, but like then I, I read the past issues and I was like, wow, this is a really well done magazine for developers. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, we'll be sure to include a link to your piece in the show notes. And my picks, one of them is this article, Pink Collar by Jennifer Pan. Another engineer, Melissa McEwen, recommended it to me. And it talks about emotional work and PR, which is a field I didn't really know much about and how if you pick a career path that is driven by passion, like who really benefits from that? So that's a pretty interesting piece. I've also been reading this book. I was holding off on picking it until I finished, but I, I haven't yet. It seems apropos given our discussion today though. It's called How to Take Smart Notes. And I thought it was going to help me just take better notes, keeping track of what I did at work. But it's actually more similar to, Evan, what you talked about with idea generation, where as you find new ideas or come up with new ideas, you record them and systematically link them to other ideas. So in effect, you have this kind of self-perpetuating idea machine. So that's pretty interesting. And then my final pick is an instrument called the melodica or the pianica. Somebody was telling me that was trademarked by Yamaha or one of those companies. And it's basically a tiny keyboard with a mouthpiece on it. And it, it's not particularly complicated to play, even if you don't know piano. And it's really fun. I was thinking about it because in our last episode, when we were making it, we talked about this series, No Dame Cantabile, which is really fun to read. So if you haven't checked that out, there's also like a J-drama that's ridiculous and over the top. And I think an animation, but I haven't watch that. So yeah, if you want to pick up an instrument, that's not so difficult to get started. And with that, that's all for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view.